Like suddenly I was able to understand what food does to my body. And suddenly I was able to understand how the food got to the plate and what it does to your internal organs, to your brains, to your liver, all these kind of things. And Mike, it was just like my whole life opened up. Not only was I sober and starting to thrive, but I was looking at food as a way to heal myself as opposed to food was the enemy. What's up everybody? I'm your host, Patrick Cook. Welcome to Being. My guest today is Grace Van Berkham. Grace is a plant-powered detox nutritionist and tropical yoga teacher, facilitating empowering and inspiring retreats in Nicaragua and around the world with her brand, Gracious Living Lifestyle. Her mission in this lifetime is to spread the message of plant-based nutrition and self-love by teaching people how to eat and live with awareness. She strongly believes that we are all more powerful than we can even realize, and that the best whole foods and plant foods combined with a healthy, balanced, loving mind and open heart can heal the body and planet of any disease. Grace Van Berkham, welcome to being. If you're enjoying the content, please do subscribe to the show and get a new episode delivered directly to your device every Friday. And as always, I love hearing from you. So please do rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whichever platform you prefer. Also, I'm proud to announce that the show is now available on YouTube. And you can also follow us on our new Instagram page, at Being with Patrick Cook. For show notes and more information, head on over to being-podcast.com. Now, on with the show. Grace Van Berkham, welcome to Being. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you today. I know. So Grace and I have known each other for, I was just thinking about it earlier, it's like 25 years or maybe longer. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. Wow. We, we were in the same uh, social circles back in Toronto, Canada. And I have one uh, significant memory of you that I think I've told you before, but I'm just going to say it again here. Um, we used to be like, we used to go out dancing in the same social circles. Yeah. We ended up at one club called Industry one night. And I remember f- um, specifically being on ecstasy that night. And you came over to, we were dancing in the same sort of circle. And you came over and I was like dancing like this with my mouth open, like, oh, <laughs> a great time. And you came over and you're like, Pat, you look like you're having an orgasm. <laughs> like, and I'm like, Grace, isn't that the whole point? <laughs> I don't know why I remember that moment. It just it pops into my memory anytime I think about you. So I just thought I'd start with that as a, a funny anecdote. Um, but interestingly, like we hadn't, we really haven't uh, connected in those 25 years. But I had been f- sort of following your trajectory online and just watching your transformation and your blossoming into this beautiful human being that you've become. And I remember reaching out to you, you know, maybe four or five years ago when I was sort of struggling, trying to awaken myself, trying to heal myself, trying to escape the grips of alcohol. And you were just so supportive in the things you were saying to me. And I'll always be super grateful for that as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, totally. And you're super inspiring, um, your, your path and your trajectory and your business. It's, uh, it's been a great to, to watch you develop to the point that you have and so many people that have been affected by your path and your courage to, to go down the path you've, you've gone. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's a good place to start. Like what has your personal journey been like? You know, how did you 
you know, transition, you know, cause we didn't really know each other that well in Toronto, but you know, we we're in the same sort of party scene. Um, how did you really embrace this path and, and find this, this journey that you've been on? I come from a very tumultuous childhood. Um, I was in and out of foster homes till the age of 10. Oh, wow. Um, I dealt a lot with, um, abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, and because of that, I developed addictions at a very young age to numb myself mm. and to kind of deal with things. And my very first addiction was at four years old and that was sugar. Wow. And I discovered early on at four years old that if I ate copious amounts of sugar, I would get super high. And that would actually put, like, it would, uh, in my mind, it would create this invisible shield to protect me from the abuse that I was going through. Mm. So and anyone who knows who's who's addicted to sugar knows that it's hard to stop. Like you can't stop eating sugar. So I would eat like copious, like I would eat bags of brown sugar. I would eat, I would drink bottles of corn syrup, like that kind of stuff as a four-year-old is crazy or as any age. And um, over the years, my sugar addictions moved into food addictions. I ate copious amounts of food to numb myself from the pain. Uh, later on, my food addictions turned into eating disorders because mm. I discovered, um, you know, I could eat copious amounts of food and make myself throw up or starve myself for a few days after, and nobody would know that I was eating that much food in secret and closets kind of thing. Wow. And uh, from there, I developed drug addictions and alcohol addictions. And I hit a point in my late, you know, late 20s. And I, it dawned on me one day that I was going to either die uh, at a young age or I was going to lead a very miserable life if I didn't deal with my, mm. what, what was causing the addictions. I knew that it was more than just getting sober and it was more than healing my food addictions. I'm like, where is this coming from? Yes. And why do I, what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And um, I knew that it came from really deep self-hatred. So mm. uh, first step was just, you know, getting sober at that time. I was really scared to get sober because I was scared that once I got sober from drugs and alcohol, that suddenly I would have to deal with my eating issues again. Mm. I hated my relationship with food. I hated my relationship with myself. Um, <laughs> so I knew that not only did I need to get sober, but I needed to uh, fix the way that I looked at food and my mm. body. So one thing led to another. I found nutrition school. I got sober. I went back to school, changed my life. Like suddenly I was able to understand what food does to my body. And suddenly I was able to understand how the food got to the plate and what it does to your internal organs, to your brains, to your liver, all these kind of things. And Mike, it was just like my whole life opened up. Not only was I sober and starting to thrive, but I was looking at food as a way to heal myself as opposed to food was the enemy. So mm. once I graduated from school, I was like, man, like, you know, my life has changed in two years from just like sobering up and learning how to eat. But so many people don't know this. And like, this is the kind of stuff we should be learning in school and everybody should understand, you know, about food and how it affects the body. So I became very passionate, of course, about being a nutritionist and helping people change their lives through food. And I became very passionate about, you know, um, helping people on their sober journeys as well and um, helping, you know, using food as a way to enhance your life and as part of the sober um, process too and healing process. Mm. That's kind of where it took me today. You know, I've, I've, um, I knew within me that all the pain and suffering and abuse that I'd gone through as a child 
um, I was meant to go through that and overcome it and then to teach people what I know. And mm. I knew that, you know, that was the meaning of my life. And I really do feel like this is the meaning of everyone's life. We need to uh, really deal with our past traumas and stuff we've learned as children that isn't necessarily our crap. It's with somebody else's crap put on us. And, you know, I know some people don't have childhood issues either, but we all have something that we need to overcome in our lives. And once we do, I, I feel like it's our duty as humans to share that with others and to help others going through the same thing. And this is, you know, this gives us meaning and it gives uh, fulfillment to our lives. So I knew that I went through what I did um, because I was supposed to help people in this way through food and through their own self-love journeys. And then five years ago, I found some land in Nicaragua and northern Nicaragua. And I, my dream was always to build a wellness center. So I embarked on that, which is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> I was very passionate that I had to get this done. And uh, I'm still in it. I mean, we're on, I'm, I'm on year four of business and still always lots of things to do. And, you know, I'm trying to build gardens right now. So I'm fully self-sustainable here. And we just got solar and... Um, you know, I'm just working on uh, growing a center here that's a safe space for people to heal, to recalibrate, to transform their lives, and, um, you know, to have more clarity in their lives. So I get lots of people coming from rehabs or coming because their health is suffering or coming because they just got divorced or coming because they want to lose weight, like lots of different reasons. But the whole foundation of this place is... Um, really taking a look at someone's lifestyle and figuring out how to change the lifestyle so that you're happier and healthier and, mm. um, you know, more inspired in your own life. Yes. Oh my God. That is amazing. I'm so inspired by your journey. And, uh, it's so much that resonated in that answer I want to ask you about, but one major theme is how, um, trauma can lead to addiction. And it's one of the fundamental causes of addiction. Actually, the, the last guest I had on, Benjamin Castillo, spoke to this beautifully about how we have our individual traumas that show up in, as individual addictions, but we also have the collective traumas that show up as collective addictions, um, which I thought was a really powerful model to, to think about. But coming back to the individual, myself included, when I was trying to sort of escape from alcohol, I recognized how ingrained in my identity it was. You know, and, and in my culture, in my social scene, in my family, everybody were drinkers. So the idea of removing myself from that was so difficult. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious about because, it, you know, if you if you're not doing what everybody else is doing, the risk being ostracized from the tribe. <laughs> you OK? Yeah, the, my neighbor's dog just showed up in my room. Oh. and I was, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Um, yeah, so you risk being separated or, or cast out from the tribe, which is a form of trauma as well, right? So I'm curious about when you were first sort of recognizing, okay, this path can't continue. I need to make changes. How did you summon the courage? Like, the, I, like I mentioned earlier, I want to make this as practical as possible for people who might be in that position now who want to make a change, but they don't know what the first steps are. How can they take the first steps to move out of addiction or trauma? I mean, for me, I, I hit a rock bottom and it wasn't, right. Like I hit several rock bottoms and anyone who hits rock bottoms know and continues to knows that each rock bottom gets worse yeah. and worse and more intense and it's harder to, to get yourself out of it. And I, I see rock bottom as a blessing and a gift because, mm. you know, as when you hit rock bottom, there's nowhere else to go but up. Mm. And it's like a cracking open where the light can come in and it's a surrendering because, yes. you know, if you're not, if you don't hit the rock bottom, like 
for me, without hitting the rock bottom, I was still trying to do things my own way or what I thought was the right way to do things. But when I actually, there was nowhere else to go because I was so depleted and I was so sad and so confused that it made me open to, you know, other inspirations that made me open to other ideas. Like clearly something was not working for me and Mm -hmm. I couldn't continue running anymore. So um, this, just this act of surrendering is where Mm -hmm. I feel like you start to receive universal energy or God energy or whatever you want to call it, because like, there's nothing else, you know? And like in those moments I prayed and I'm not religious, you know, but I prayed for signs and I prayed for guidance and I prayed, um, you know, to, um, to start under having the courage. I prayed for courage to go down this path and I didn't know what the path was, but I had to try something. So, Mm. you know, I'm a big fan of praying for those things. Like when you are, you want to get sober, you don't know how praying for guidance from the universe. Mm. Um, I feel when you actually put those intentions and those words and vibrations out there, it's, it starts to be revealed to you at a quicker rate. You're open to seeing the signs Mm. um, or the people show up that are there to help you, Um, you know, reaching out for help um, Mm. because had I, you know, I didn't really reach out for help till I hit my rock bottom because I thought I could do things on my own. And part of my trauma was thinking that I could endure everything and that um, it was a weakness to ask ask for help. So, Mm. you know, being willing to have the courage to ask for help and admit you have a problem. I mean, you can't, you can't, you need to be able to admit that to yourself and to others to get that support Mm. Um, and aligning with positive people. I mean, and people who want you to thrive and want you to do well, like clearly if you're still, if you want to get sober, but you're still hanging out with other addicts, they, that's going to affect your willpower, you know, and and your actions. So you, um, it's, you know, really having the courage to look at yourself Mm. because that was really scary for me too. Uh, For the longest time, I didn't want to look at myself and that's why I wanted to numb myself with addictions because I couldn't deal with my own shit. Um, but it's having the courage to be like, okay, I'm ready to like peel back the layers and see what's going on in there and see why I hate myself this much (laughs) that I I don't want to give myself, you know, the best things in life. Mm, yes. Uh, and I've worked with a lot of clients um, around their addiction and it almost always comes back to a, a lack of self-esteem or self-value or self-love. And cultivating that can be incredibly hard if you're not used to it. Uh, and the what you mentioned about surrender, that is the path to ultimate freedom when you actually... Uh, get to that point and sometimes it's rock bottom sometimes it's other times where he's like I can't do this anymore and you need to surrender to and ask for help um that is so it, it is an act of courage and it is terrifying for most people which is why they don't do it um but it is the path to ultimate freedom because when you go inside and you you face your demons you face your darkness they, then it has an opportunity to heal or be transmuted or to be released or reprogrammed whatever it might need so yeah. yes and, and I like I always say my journey to self-love was one of the hardest and scariest things ever. It's not easy. It's not just like you your fingers like, oh, I'm going to love myself today. Yeah. It's like there's multiple layers and layers of stuff 100%. going on there. And like you have to really be able to re- examine your blockages. Mm. And, you know, for me, I mean, the bottom line for me was I realized I hated myself so much because as a youngster, I was told to hate myself. Yes. You know, like I, I realized over time, these weren't my words and this wasn't who I really was. It was, I, it was told to me and I was almost brainwashed into it. So it's like, 
being willing to look at that, being willing to forgive, like that was a huge thing for me. Not, mm. not only forgiving my abusers, but more so forgiving myself. Cause yeah. I mean, we just do the best we can in every given moment in that day. Right. And realizing that, you know, so much of what happens to us, it's not our fault. Like, yeah. especially when it happens as a child, yeah. I mean, we're just trying to survive. So, um, again, yeah. Having the courage to look at things, having the courage to forgive. I mean, for the longest time, you know, I didn't want to forgive. I mm. wanted to be angry. The yeah. anger was like helping me survive. And, yeah. you know, part of me drinking and doing drugs and eating copious amounts of food was trying to stifle that anger yeah. and that self-hatred. Right. So, um, when I hit rock bottom, I suddenly, you know, it became apparent to me that I was filled with anger and I never wanted to forgive anyone. Mm. And, but when I surrendered, I, that's when I started the process of like, okay, well, I need to look at this. Because if I want to get out of this, I need to change something. And I need to change my energy and my outlook on things. And the only way to move forward is to forgive. And the only way to move forward was me to start to be grateful for who I was, which mm. included my past. And I couldn't yes. move forward without forgiving my past and being grateful for my past, which yes. is daunting. Like if you're not ready for that, you're like, you want to be the victim, right? Yeah, you want to totally. be like, I don't, I don't want to let this go. But there came a point where I'm like, I have to let it go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what you're talking about is victim consciousness where it's, it's not our fault, but at the same time, we need to take responsibility for it. Right. And that's a difficult thing. It was a difficult thing for me to understand, certainly. Um, because when we are children, that's where most of our trauma comes from and we are innocent and uh, vulnerable. And so when we realize that we've been taken advantage of, it's very easy to blame. It's very easy to um, you know, externalize all of our pain onto other people and it manifests in different ways. Addiction is a, a massive one. Um, but making that shift in mindset from everything that happened happened for me not to me. And if you can shift that, that was like, wow, okay, I get it now. And, and that becomes your medicine. That becomes the elixir that you can now overcome and then bring to as your unique gift to contribute to the world. Right. And that little shift in mindset, although it's difficult, is a life changer. Right. And so if you're looking for us uh, to escape from your addiction or your trauma and move into a positive life purpose, this is the way to do it be open to looking at all of your shit, healing it, and then using that knowledge, your experience to help other people do the same thing. You know, and that brings so much it's, meaning. It's shifting the energy, right? It's going yeah. from victim mentality to a more empowered uh, human being. Yes, creative consciousness, beautiful. We are in extraordinary times and facing unprecedented challenges. Never in history have we been so connected yet so divided at the same time. Now more than ever, there is a fundamental need and desire for us to come together in community and collaboration, to experience real and authentic connection with our fellow human beings, to be part of a tribe of people who are doing the challenging work of making sense of the world and their place in it, to have a safe space to be vulnerable and get the support we so desperately seek as we navigate the complexity of modern life. This is why I have created the Being Community, an exclusive online community for people who are doing the work of personal development, of awakening, of healing, of peeling back the layers of conditioning and unconscious programming and unleashing their full creative expression. 
This is for the people who have the courage to say yes to life and to becoming the best version of themselves for their own benefit and for the benefit of all. This private group offers all the functionality and benefits of a traditional Facebook group, but will be hosted away from social media and free from the watchful eyes of big tech. The group will feature live coaching calls, exclusive content and trainings, plus personalized guided meditations. At its essence, the Being community is about coming together to co-create the future that we all want to live in. If this resonates with you, go to being-community.com for more information and to reserve your spot. That's being-community.com. Now, back to the show. Um, I wanted to ask about your father because I know that you have been instrumental in his healing um, and my father also has Alzheimer's. Uh, he's in late stages now, but I know you've been you've been instrumental in helping your father heal from cancer and also from the effects of Alzheimer's. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, it's been an interesting journey with my father. Um, I guess let's see, about eighteen years ago now, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer that moved to bone cancer, and they gave him less than ten months left to live. Wow, and. Um, he radically changed his diet and changed his lifestyle and started meditating, doing yoga in his mid sixties. And, uh, basically he cured his cancer, which was phenomenal. Um, wow. at the time I was going to nutrition school. So, um, we were, you know, both kind of teaching each other about food and using food as medicine. And I was learning about all these cases in school about people who actually heal their cancer. And then I was watching my father do it at the same time. So it was a really cool experience. And, um, that experience, has really impacted me and the nutritionist I am and the human I am and the, um, you know, how I do my work because I was able to really witness somebody who was told that they had less than 10 months left to live, uh, not accept that diagnosis or at least try. He was like, you know, if I die doing this, uh, at least I'm trying to do something. Yeah. And I really thought he was going to die at that time. And I just watched miraculously that he changed not only his cell structure on the inside, but also his frame of mind. He changed the way he looked at his life. He dealt a lot with his like emotional issues or things that he was holding onto, um, onto mm. in, in his life that was causing dis-ease. Yes. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of like, that was huge for me to see the emotional component of disease. Yes. Um, and then watch him, watch him. As I graduated from school, he was diagnosed as cancer free and nobody could believe it, which was mm. crazy. And, um, uh, 30 minutes. Yeah. Por favor. Um, and, um, um, then let's see, six years ago, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Like he's in his eighties now. And we put him into an old age home. I was creating my center here at the time. I would go to visit him and I'd be mortified at what they were giving him to eat. I'd be, you know, mortified at the energy in there. I don't know if you've ever been in an I old guess, age home, but like everyone's depressed. Yeah. Um, everyone's screaming. People were crying. They're sat in front of a TV watching the news the whole time. You know, um, I tried my best to, to talk to them about feeding him better food and whatnot, but it just never stuck. And then mm -hmm. I just... I had this epiphany one day as I was building my place here. I was like, 
why do I have all this land and I'm building a wellness center and I could easily build my dad a house and get him a caregiver for really cheap. Like, and he's in a home in Toronto. So I told, uh, I told my brother and my sister, uh, this, you know, epiphany that I had, I'm like, Oh my God, I need to take dad to Northern Nicaragua with me and I'll take care of him here. It'll be so cheap. And you know, it'll be so good for his health. And they were like, absolutely not. Like, are you nuts? <laughs> Like you want to take our dad out of a home and you want to take care of our dad who has Alzheimer's in Northern Nicaragua. And, um, his doctor actually was, <laughs> yeah, they thought it was nuts. And but I've always been kind of the black sheep of the family. Always, yep, me too. You know, traveling <laughs> and doing crazy things. Well, crazy <laughs> and, um, uh, the, his doctor, my dad's doctor was fully on board and he mm. was like, I think this is the best thing for him. Like he needs to go. So my brother, um, he accepted it. He said, let's just do a trial run. So we did a trial run for what was supposed to be a month. It only ended up being 19 days. And he, my father drastically improved in 19 days and I blogged all about it. And I put it on my website. If any of your viewers want to see it, but the photos of him from day one to day 19 are miraculous. And I basically treated it as his own private Alzheimer's retreat. I did, I gave him the best menu I could for, for brain health, for anti-inflammatory health. I, um, we did exercise every day with like, I literally use like massive papayas and got him to do like weight workouts with papayas. Awesome. Uh, I put him, I would take a chair and put him in front of a coconut tree and say, okay, Papa, today's your day to draw this. So I gave him drawing exercises. We did puzzles. I walked him to the beach every day and I pretty much like tried to carry him. He came in a wheelchair and he left with a cane in 19. And um, we did like earthing meditations and you know, I just basically every moment of the day, I gave him my full attention. I had no clients at the time and I did whatever I could to stimulate him as a human organism. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I looked at. Like I looked at, you know, what does this human organism need to thrive with food? What kind of environment does it need to be in? How much does he need to move? What, how can we stimulate his creativity? Mm-hmm. You know, we sang, we sang like child um, nursery rhymes. Like I really, like he was like my baby and he still is. And, um, and he just got better and better. And like literally the day when he came here, we're on the plane, he couldn't even string a sentence together. Like he would say one thing, stare into space, not finish the sentence, say something else. Like he just couldn't, his brain wasn't working properly. And then um, by the end of it, he was laughing, you know, and, and happy. And I had to bring him back in 19 days because I still wasn't finished construction here. And I was Mm -hmm. still traveling for business. And I brought him back six months later, my brother and my sister and the doctors, they could not deny. They're like, whatever you've done is amazing for him. And like the nurses were taking notes and, um, so did it last when he got back those, those changes? Yeah, I prayed every day because I was really nervous he was going to die or like really revert back it. I mean, he did revert back a little bit. Um, but like I would write affirmations all over his wall in his home, like saying you're going to Nicaragua in this state. And I would get people to go visit him and remind him that he was going to Nicaragua. Awesome. So we kind of tried to hold on to that. And then, um, let's see, uh, six months later, I brought him here and I couldn't uh, build him a home right away and I couldn't find him a caregiver. So what ended up happening was that I had to share a room with him for one year. It took (laughs) me one year to actually find somebody. So that was interesting because like, you know, he's like my, my dad. And he, I mean, we had separate beds, but like we shared a bathroom and like some mornings I would go to teach yoga and I come in and he's wearing like my, one of my crop tops off his shoulder, you know, like <laughs> he was doing really funny things. And, um, 
and I, but I would be mortified and, you know, I had to learn how to shower him and like he was wearing diapers. So I had to change his diaper. So I wow. had to learn a lot while I just opened my retreat center here. And then uh, finally I was able to afford building him a little home. So I built him an earth bag home. Um, I finally found somebody to live with him. So he has somebody full time that lives with him there. He's still with you. Okay. And um, I guess it's been how long, like three years, just over three and a half years. My intention with him was never to um, get him off meds. You know, I really just wanted to provide a place for him, you know, maybe improve a little bit. We're always, we've always been told that you cannot reverse Alzheimer's. So yeah. I really believe that. And I just wanted him to die here in a happy place, like in my presence, in nature. I just wanted to gift him this uh, happy, beautiful death, really. Mm. And I never in a million years uh, imagined that he would improve. So in the three years, he, I've gotten him off all his medications. Wow. He was on four medications. He just, I just kept noticing as he was eating cleaner and getting better that the medications were making him pass out. Right. And he would literally, within minutes of taking it, he would pass out, like fall asleep sitting up even after a meal. And I was just like, okay, this is obviously, these are t starting to become too strong as he's getting cleaner. So I would just like, you know, I take off a little nugget and just give him a little less. And then just over time, I just, I noticed he was just getting better and better with, with less medication. And mm. one of his medications, he was on antidepressants for 35 years. He's like, he's off his antidepressants. He's, he's been medication free now for, um, uh, over two years. Wow. So he literally, the, the man laughs all day long. He's smiling all day long. He's never upset. He's always like, thank you. He's always cracking jokes. <laughs> Hits on the ladies here. Like, I do feel a big part of his success is that he's surrounded by beautiful women all the time. And he That's loves it. That's a bonus. Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> he just, like, it's amazing. And people are always like, wow, he, like, he, you're so lucky to have a dad like this who's, like, just so happy all the time. Like, what a wonderful life he must have had. And I'm like, you know what? I know my dad is angry and depressed most of my life. So this right. is phenomenal wow. that I've watched a man, a human being, um, not only get off his meds, but his short-term memory has come back, which is crazy. Like he remembers th things all the times. Like, I mean, yes, it comes in waves. Like he is 87, but he will remember something that just happened five minutes ago or, or yesterday. He'll remember people. He'll be like, Oh, I met you before, which is amazing. Cause he wasn't mm. like this in the beginning, but more than anything, like his personality has so changed and like, he's just so happy He's like a child laughing and, you know, the nurses pulled me aside when I took him full time and they said, do you know what you're doing? Like, you have to be ready. Like, it's only going to get worse from here. Right. It's not going to get better. He's going to get abusive. Like, you need to be ready for what's coming. So, you know, I kept that in the back of my head, but I thought, you know, I'll just... I'll deal with that when the time comes. I just knew I had yeah. to try. And yeah. I knew worst case scenario, if it got out of hand or if I couldn't handle it, I could always bring him home. Right. So anyways, my, it's been amazing. Like he just, he's just the happiest man alive. And, um, yeah, he's wow. just, what a, it, it's been so amazing for me as his daughter, as a nutritionist, as a human being, like just to watch what's possible, mm. what's possible, even when doctors say that's not possible. Yes. And also, you know, you know, anything and everything's possible. And I just, no matter how old somebody is, no matter what they're diagnosed with or labeled with, if you put a human organism in the right environment and you give a human organism everything it needs to survive and you go down the list of like what makes a human survive 
they d- there's still intelligence mm-hmm. and there's still creativity left in them and, mm-hmm. and joy. So that has been amazing because, you know, we're always told, like, once you get older, like, that's a, like, you know, in the old age home, they were just trying to keep people safe. Yeah. It wasn't about thriving. And, no. and you know, that's just, like, bless the nurses. They work so hard, but nobody's trying to improve anyone. They're just kept safe there till they die. And I've watched somebody reverse stuff and thrive. Yes. What a powerful story, Grace. Wow. So, so inspiring. The, the power of intention and nurturing yourself with positivity, both in your mind and then through nutrition, incredibly, incredibly powerful, the work you're doing. And I just wanted to go a little bit deeper into, say, people that aren't, you know, haven't suffered any disease yet to recognize that they are in control. They are incredibly powerful. Their body is incredibly powerful. When we come into alignment with ourselves, we can heal almost anything. We can trans, um, transmute and, and transform our, our energy and our mindset. We are so incredibly powerful and we've been conditioned or programmed to believe that we aren't. And I think that's the, one of the biggest tragedies of modern society. So uh, a lot of the work I do is, is um, inspiring people to do the deeper inner work to discover their true power and then to bring it out and express it into the world. And one of the main things that is is nutrition and taking care of your body. What comes in not only with food and drink, but energy. You know, what energy are you allowing in? What energy are you transmitting, right? Because you spoke about earlier how energy can to, to transmit into disease very quickly. So example, if we have anger or trauma or unresolved emotions that are within us that are not being processed, they can, they're looking to manifest. And that can be anger, that can be outbursts, that can be abuse, it can be disease, it can be depression, all sorts of things can manifest when we don't do that inner work. So incredibly powerful. I, you know, I've been a holistic nutritionist for 15 years now. And, uh, you know, the majority of what I do is coach people with food and how to inflammation and use food as medicine. But what I've learned over these last 15 years now is that I really believe the mental component Mm. is stronger than actually the physical. 100%. And what we hold on to in our hearts and our minds is going to help us flourish or not flourish and hanging on to our inner resentments and Mm. not really looking at ourselves. And, you know, um, that's what ultimately can make us sick. There's such a huge emotional component to this in combination Mm. with what you're eating. Yes, yes. And incredibly relevant right now, I think, with with everything that's going on in the world, it's it's to take control of your own nutrition, of your own health, right? Because like we said, our bodies and our minds are incredibly powerful. When we're in coherence and we're grounded and we've done the work to heal any um, uh, unresolved traumas or emotions, you can heal from anything. You can you can overcome anything. And so, you know, we're living in a world right now where we're addicted to pharmaceuticals. We're addicted to the the uh, medical industry to show us the answers. And they don't, it's not a holistic, holistic, integrative approach. And I think, you know, what the work you're doing is so, so powerful in reminding people that they are powerful. Right. And so, and it's so interesting, like everything that I teach and everything that I stand for as a holistic nutritionist and a health coach and as a yoga teacher, you know, everything that has helped me heal my life. And I try and teach my clients is so relevant right yeah, now. Totally. It's just like, I feel like my whole life has been made for this moment and trying and these times to yeah. like everything I've been speaking about is so relevant now. And it's so 
interesting with everything that's happening, especially like the censorship and stuff that suddenly all the things I've been talking about, you know, many of us have been talking about for so many years, suddenly it's controversial. Yeah. And suddenly (laughs) it's wrong. And I'm like, I've been talking about this for 15 years. And like, you know, I even had people turn on me saying like, you know, calling me a quack or whatever, because I'm talking about the same things. I'm like, you've been listening to me for 15 years. And now suddenly my stuff's not making sense, but a whole other tangent. But yeah. um, well, I think there's a dissonance there, and I think it comes from trauma, unresolved unre- um, trauma, right? So if you if you have collective trauma in a populace, it's very easy to manipulate. It's very easy to um, to control, right? And so if people are scared or in fear, you can get them to do anything, right? And if it's in the name of profit, then of course we want you know the the market is going to want to do that, whether it's good for them or not. That's just the the basis of capitalism. That's the world we live in, unfortunately. Um, but if if you do uh, do the work to to take your control, you take your power back by re- resolving your unresolved trauma or healing, then you're less easily manipulated. You get less sick. You're in less. You have more sovereignty. Like this is how we change the world, really. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just uh, so many people haven't done their inner work. Yeah. Exactly. If you haven't done your inner work. It's hard to really look at the world any other way right now or even understand that there's possibly some deception going on. Yeah. Because if you haven't done the work, how are you going to fit into a world that is crumbling before yeah. your eyes? Like you can't even see it because then who are you? Yeah. Who are you? If, if the world is a lie, then who yeah. are you in those lies? And, you know, a lot, I feel like a lot of people have their unresolved trauma or they, they live in a state of anxiety and depression yeah. all the time that they can't, they're not able to peel back those layers or yeah. dismantle themselves in a crumbling paradigm. So, mm. um, yeah, identity, identity. That's what I was talking about earlier when I was, um, trying to stop drinking, it was very difficult because I was identified with it. It was my identity that I had built, even, even if it was painful and causing me harm and ultimately illusory, it was what I knew. And so letting go of it was scarier because the unknown is always scarier than the known, even if it's painful or if it's uncomfortable, right? And that's what I think a position a lot of people are in right now is like, wait a minute, if this whole facade, this whole identity, this whole life I've built for myself is a lie or it's based on lies, then what the hell am I? What the hell is this world? They have no idea what reality is, so they prefer to hang on to that identity, even in the face of evidence or, you know, the stuff that's coming to light. Right. And so that, that creates a cognitive dissonance and then they just want to lash out and, and want to protect that identity at all costs, even if it's not in their best interest, which is tragic. Right. And, and that's what we're seeing at scale. Um, but I keep coming back to what can we do practically as individuals and exactly what we're talking about, taking responsibility for your own health on every level and, you know, not going into blame, not going into uh, victim consciousness, really taking responsibility for everything is the, the path to your freedom and your power. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> okay. To, the, to that end, then what are some of the practices and techniques that you personally use or with your clients that to help people stay grounded, stay, stay healthy, stay creative? Yeah. I mean, taking care obviously of your nutrition is important because your nutrition is not only going to affect your energy levels, but it's also going to affect your mental perception of life. And yeah. like, you know, so, there's so many stresses and challenges right now, even before any of this happens. So for sure. um, you want to make sure that you're eating things that are helping your body to thrive 
yes. work efficiently and reduce inflammation and stabilizing your blood sugar. Yes. And so um, helping you digest your food well and helping you eliminate your toxins efficiently. Like mm. all these things matter. And it's, you know, people really need to understand like this is our vessel. Yes. And we need to take care of our vessel. If you don't take care of your vessel, it is going to compromise your lens on life. It is yeah. going to compromise like how you go through life. Do you go through life grudgingly, slowly with pain in the body? Or are you moving easily with joy, with peace, with clarity, connected to your intuition, you know, able to handle your emotions and stress? Like mm. you can control that. And it's amazing to me how how um, many people still don't realize they can control yeah. how they're moving through their life, right? Totally. Physically and mentally. And that's my job. That's what I try to teach people. Awesome. And so when it comes to diet or protocols, is it is there one thing that you subscribe to is, or is it um, sort of personalized for each different person? Yeah. I mean, I, what I do here at my wellness center, it's all plant-based eating. I have a level one to level eight cell health program, I call it. Awesome. Level one being more beginner level, like... I've never eaten vegetables in my life. I eat meat at every meal. Um, you know, I'm very scared to be here. Whereas like <laughs> mid range goes into more live foods, raw foods, Ayurvedic herbs, um, superfoods, and then level eight's more liquids. So I kind of right. um, assess where people are at and uh, put them in the appropriate level. Some people are here for a week, some are here for five weeks, three months, whatever. You know, we figure that out. Uh, many, I am plant-based because I do believe that a plant-based experience is the quickest way to help a person's body recalibrate. Mm. But I have many clients who come to me and say, don't even try to make me vegan. I, I'm not, <laughs> not going to leave here being vegan, but I do want to change my health and um, don't even try. So I would say like 75% of my clients actually are not vegan. Right. Um, I don't push veganism veganism on anyone. Uh, I think it's much more than being vegan anyway. I, to be honest, I hate using the word vegan because I yeah. don't think that's really in indicative of health. Yeah. I like to more like fresh foods, real foods, whole foods, right. um, you know, unprocessed foods. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, um, yeah, I 75% of my clients are, um, still eat animal products, but we do so in a more conscious way and right. a clean way. Um, my forte comes in helping people eat more vegetables, no matter right. what style of eating they want to do. So most people that come here are imbalanced or unhealthy in some way. And if I were to look at their, their health history or their food journals, they're not getting enough nutrition. They're not getting enough, um, fiber or hydration. Um, they're not stabilizing their blood sugar. They have too much inflammation. You know, mm. there's a whole list of things going on and most people don't eat enough veggies or even know how to, how to prepare them properly. So, mm. um, no matter what style of eating people want to be or how, um, yeah, like no matter what style they want to be, basically I'm I'm teaching people how to implement more vegetables and more fresh vegetables in their life. Everything we do is natural here. Um, everything is made from scratch, nothing packaged, nothing processed. Um, everything is from what nature provides here. I'm all about using what's local. Yes. Um, everything is done. Uh, we, we do like half cooked, half raw. If you go up uh, the ladder, like up the levels of my right. health programs. And, you know, sometimes we'll do more raw depending on the person's health, uh, and what's going on with them. Right. Um, everything is, a, is, a, is as anti-inflammatory as possible. Uh, everything is clean as possible, organic as possible. I'm trying to grow as much food as possible on my land. So we're getting right. there. Yeah. And, awesome. Um, 
you know, a big part of the process here is eating with community, eating slowly, yes. feeling grateful for your food, mm. um, you know, taking the time to enjoy your foods, viewing food as and eating as our meditations. Yes. So it's just like the whole place here is about slowing down. Awesome. Slowing down so that we can start to see, so we can start to feel better, but also start to see our own blockages. You know, people can't really see where they're limiting themselves in their own lives if you're go, go, go all the time and yes. like constantly being distracted. So it's all about, you know, not only cleansing here and getting healthier and recalibrating our health, but just getting clear on what to do moving forward. Like yes. what's working for you and what's not working for you. Mm. And clearly, like if people are here, there's like, obviously there's stuff not working for them. So right. um, everyone's different, uh, but just looking at all like the way that everybody is living and figuring out like, okay, what can I change when I go back home? Awesome. I love it. Yeah. And the, the energy and int intention you bring to everything you do, but food specifically, like when I have dinner with my kids, we all say something we're grateful for. And we, we um, send positive intention and energy into the food. And before we eat, it's just so, so powerful and makes such a difference. Um, yeah, that's awesome. All right, Grace, thank you so much. I know you're busy, so I'm going to let you go, but one more question. Uh, if you were to take all of your experiences, all your knowledge and wisdom gained and distill them down into one message or one sentence, what would it be? Um, this is something I say all the time, anything and everything is possible. And mm. the only thing, like that's my phrase, but what that means really is like the only thing that is limiting us is ourselves. Yes. and our perceptions of things. And that's like the biggest thing I've learned working with my dad, you know, twice now who was told like his diseases weren't uh, reversible, but they are, you know, and I mean, it's, I guess it's not for everyone either, but it is possible. So, and you know, some of the things I've gone through trying to build my center here that I didn't think I would be able to do. I did, you know, because I opened up my mind to it and I surrendered and I asked for help and I persevered and I set an intention and I set a goal. And, um, you know, as humans, we can really do whatever we want. We can achieve anything, but we just have to want to and we have to believe it. Yes. Awesome. Grace Van Berkham, thank you so much for your time and sharing your magic and wisdom today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Pat. It was great talking to you. You too. Talk to you real soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate, and review. For more information and show notes, head on over to being-podcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, live your being.